Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. We pray for us and we'll get in the word. Heavenly Father, we do come and we, we recognize that you are sovereign over all, that you are the ruler of the universe, and we rest under your care. We rest under your authority. We rest under your lordship. And so as we come, Father, we, we also come trusting that we are sons and daughters of yours and that you care for us and that you watch over us, and that you discipline us, and that you continue to work in our lives. And so, Father, we ask for your, your presence. We ask for your help, even this morning, as we, as we walk through these days. Father, for those who are weary, I pray that you give them rest. Father, for those who are struggling with sin, I pray that they would find grace here. Father, for those who, who are just feeling self-righteous, Father, I pray that they would find humility. Father, for those who are weary, Father, lift their up. For those who are downcast, Lord, would you lift their gaze and their countenance today. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to be in John 15 today, so if you want to look that up, uh, we've been looking through this, uh, this section of John for some time, and really, kind of as we get started, I don't know anyone in life that desires to be a slacker, uh, at least not in every area of life. Like some of you go, I know a few of those, but, but, but I know it seems like everyone wants to succeed in some area of life, some arena of life. It may just be gaming, it may be sports, it may be uh, business, it may be education, it may be music, but there's some area of life where everyone wants to be productive. And in fact, in this passage, we've been, uh, Jesus has been teaching us about how to live a spiritually fruitful and productive life. And in his teaching, he says that I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And in this image, we are the branches, but our heavenly father is the vine dresser who cuts and prunes and gardens in order to make us even more productive in all of the areas of life. And so now the problem with this is that most of us want to be productive, but very few of us want to be pruned, right? And most of us want to live a fruitful life, but very few, most of us want to avoid being cut on in order to become more fruitful. More fruitful. And the fact is, we're all pretty weak in a fundamental way. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so there's this, this limitation that we have. And, and the reality for our lives is that we may be told where joy can be found, but we oftentimes take detours away from the path that God points us to. I've got a couple of videos I want to share with you today that I think give us a good picture of what this looks like. And the, the fact is for us, even when we do something good, we may still venture off course and take this in a wrong direction. And so there's a strange tendency to wander off course. If we could roll this first video. Run that back one more time. I want you to see what happens with this guy. So notice this guy makes a great play, right? Like for those of you who don't know football, there's one end zone you're supposed to go to, one you're not supposed to go to. This guy makes a great play and intercepts the ball, goes the wrong way. And takes off heading the wrong way. And notice who, has, notice who tackles him. Dude, his own teammates got to chase him down and tackle him to keep him from scoring for the wrong team. And do you ever feel like you live that way? Like even when you try to do something really good, everything turns out all wrong. 
Uh, that's kind of what you see with this guy. And today we're talking about the discipline of our heavenly father who often intervenes in our life and he corrects us and he sets us back on the right path when we've gone on, when we've ventured off in the right path. And I've got one more video that I think captures perfectly why we need God's discipline and why we need God's help. Uh, and I think we've got some audio on this one. You'll want to listen to this little guy. Your head's stuck, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> Why are you like this? <laughs> oh, I love his crying at the end. Like he gets himself in the spot, starts crying. They take him out and walk him over, set him on the right path. Like you've got all this other stuff you could play with. And what's he do? Just wanders right back, sticks his head back in there and cries again. And do you ever feel like you live that way? Like some of us have dated that way, right? Like some of you are like, I went, dated the wrong guy, got hurt, cried, went away, turned around, dated the wrong guy again. Like, wait, are we gonna learn about this? Sometimes we parent this way, right? Like you try something, it doesn't really work. It doesn't give it the, the, the impact you want with your kids. And then immediately you're like, well, maybe if I just do it louder, like that will be more effective if I try the same thing just more intensely, but it doesn't really pay off. And so we get ourselves in these places where God tries to show us the right path and we keep running the wrong direction and get us to kind of turn us around and put us on the right path and send us back the right way. But I love the, the videos there because I think it, it's oftentimes what we look like. And God continually comes to us and says, nope, buddy, that's gonna lead to pain. Let me turn you around and set you on a path that leads to joy but we, we tend to run the wrong direction. So we need God's help. And God's pruning or discipline, friends, is not about God's punishment. It's rather about setting your life back on the path of promise and joy. So let's look at John 15 and look at what Jesus is teaching here. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." This is Christ teaching in this farewell discourse as he's getting ready to depart and he's teaching his disciples what life is gonna be like um, as he's not there any longer. And in this image Jesus of the vineyard, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and the, his heavenly father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is actually, the father's actually mentioned about seven times in a few short verses. It's amazing how active the father is in these verses, but oftentimes it's easy to overlook all that he's doing that's mentioned here. In fact, verse three says that the role of the father is, is twofold. He cuts back every healthy branch that bears fruit and he cuts down and discards every unhealthy branch that does not bring fruit. 
So those are the, the two things that the father does in this passage. You notice there's only, there's only two courses to choose from here. Uh, so the, this is an interesting thing for us as you think about the impact or the effect this has on your life. There's only two courses you get to choose from and both of them you get cut on, right? So look, at the first, look at the first one. The first is a path of no faith, no life, um, no fruit. What's the result of that? It's that you're cut off and cast aside. And so there's no faith, no life, no fruit. That's one path, but you're gonna be cut. There's another path that is faith, life, fruit, cut back, more fruit, joy. Yeah, but both of, them got, both of them are gonna involve the father's work as the vine dresser because in a vineyard, dead wood's gotta be trimmed away. It can be diseased, it can be decayed, it can be something that blocks the, the, the growth and the effectiveness of good fruit. And so uh, the dead wood has to be cut back and, and really it's not worth anything. You can't go build a house out of a dead vine and so it's usually just discarded and burned. And so this is something that's useless. And the focus here is on the productivity. That's why in verse six, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. Now, so that's the dead wood. On the other hand, there's live wood and the live wood, the focus is on increasing the productivity, right? That it's gonna be trimmed back so that what bears fruit may bear even more fruit, that it might yield a greater uh, or maximum yield. And so they're pruned and trimmed in order to, really provide health and growth. That the vine dresser wants all of the energy of the vine to flow into the healthy branches that they might produce even more good stuff. And so that's the, the, the story that, or the, the image that Jesus is teaching here. So you notice there's two, two key principles for us is if you wanna live a fruitful life, what are the two things we need to do? Well, first is you need to receive nourishment and strength from the vine. You need to be attached to the vine so that you receive nourishment and strength from the vine. And then the second is you need to receive pruning and forming from the vine dresser. That, that, that's our role. If you wanna be fruitful and you receive good stuff from the vine Jesus and you receive the, 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 the correction and the pruning and the shaping of the vine dresser, who's the father. And so really what you see in this passage is Jesus saying, look, there's, no, there's not really a good excuse for a useless life. Uh, when, you, when you've got the right vine and you've got the right vine dresser, it's, gonna, it's going to produce good fruit in our lives. In fact, if you think about the image a little further, no fruit can produce, or no, no, um, no fruit can be better than the vine that feeds it, right? Like you need to be connected to a true stock. The, 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 you, the, the fruit that comes from a vine is only gonna be as good as the vine. And, and so in this passage, when you think about it, it's why Jesus starts off and he says what? I am the true vine meaning you've got the best vine, you're attached to the best vine, there's nothing better that you could do. You're going to naturally produce good fruit if you're connected to it. But it also makes sense that no fruit will be better than the vine dresser who prunes it. Like logically, you can step back and it makes sense that the success of a vineyard is gonna be connected to the quality of the vine dresser. The success of what is produced in a vineyard is only gonna go as well as the guy who's managing it and overseeing it. But this is why we can be confident. Do you realize we can be confident as believers? We don't have to be fearful because we are connected to the true vine and we are connected to the best vine dresser there, there is. And so we can be confident in what's gonna be produced in us because our vine dresser is, is gonna tend and water and protect and cultivate. Look at these pictures of a vineyard. I've got a few pictures here. And 
You think of just the, the beauty of a vineyard and someone who's captured that and someone who's cared well for it and who's tended it. And the thing I always notice when I see vineyards is everything's in perfect rows. Everything's in order. Everything's productive. And everything is, everything is built on making that thing produce the best kind of fruit, right? And as you just look at a couple of these images, think about this. Jesus says he's the vine and his, his heavenly father is the vine dresser who's going to work in us like, like, the, like the vineyards that we see here in order to produce good fruit. And does that give you confidence? As a person to know that God's gonna produce that kind of quality in you and even more. Now, when you think about the immaculate care, I think that's there, um, that gives us some hope and some confidence, but here's, there, there's another side of that. You notice what he says is that um, as he talks about pruning or, or pruning the, fr the fruit or the trees, the, I'm sorry, as he talks about pruning the branch, he says that, that our heavenly father prunes every branch that bears fruit. So even if you do what's right, even if you're bearing fruit, even if you're, you're on the right path, it, God's still gonna prune. God's still gonna do it because he wants to produce more fruit. He's constantly at work. And so every one of us is going to be under kind of the pruning shears of the Lord as he trims and cuts and works in order to make us even more like his son and even more um, trustworthy. Now, D.A. Carson said this. He says, doubtless, doubtless the father's purpose is loving, but the procedure may be painful, right? Now, any of you experienced that in life? Like, you know that God's doing something good. You just wish it didn't hurt. Like, I wish we could kind of just skip around this. I wish I, wish I could be productive without pruning. And yet, this is the image that Jesus told us. And he said that the love of the father and the care of the father prunes us so that he can make, make us more productive. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, we see another image where it talks about this in the, in the book of Hebrews. And there it compares uh, the, the discipline of a father for his children. Hebrews 12, verse five says this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? You're the children of God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And isn't it easy to get weary when you're reproved? Like we, we live in a world that thinks we're gonna do everything by affirmation. And if you just affirm and we need affirmation and we need encouragement and we need that, but there's a time also where we need reproof, where we need to be set right, when we need to be put back on the right course. If you take a broken bone and, and you, can, you can affirm it all you want, but if it's not set straight, it's gonna to, to lead to something that's unhealthy. It's not gonna bring healing. So you have to sometimes be set straight in order to, to then be encouraged so that you move in the right path. And he says, he goes on to say, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there who his father does not discipline? Uh, kids, can I get an amen on that one? Like we know what this is like, right? And if you're left without discipline, then you are in, uh, in which all you've participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, or should. So that shall we not be more subject to the Father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all who have been trained by it. So God, God disciplines us. He works in our life as a good father does to his children in order to set us on the right path to lead us in a healthy direction. Now, it's a good thing to have a parent who loves you enough to set boundaries and to correct you and to, to make sure you stay on the right path. That's a good thing. 
Uh, when you think about uh, kind of neglectful or unhealthy parents, they usually go in two directions. An unhealthy parent might be someone who runs free and loose and is afraid and wants to be more of a friend to, the parent, to their child. And they, they don't set actually healthy boundaries that keep their kids on the right path. That's one direction where we could be neglectful in our parenting. Another direction is to be harsh and mean and overbearing and controlling in order to never, uh, never bring life to that relationship, but our heavenly father operates in grace and truth. He always brings them together. And so he doesn't go to either extreme, but he, con- he corrects with the purpose of encouraging us to go in the right direction as a, as a healthy parent would. Now, there's an interesting thing for me in this passage because Hebrews says, if you receive no discipline, then you're not a son. Now, obviously that's an awful place to be, right? If you're separated from your heavenly father, you're not under his care, you're not under, uh, under, his, over, under his correction, then it says you're an illegitimate child, you're not connected to him and you're not gonna receive discipline. But let me say this. You know, there's a, there's a sense in which unbelievers may actually be happier than believers at times because they, they may not, at least in the short term, they, they may appear to be freer to enjoy sin and sin can, be ha- can make you happy in the moment. It doesn't mean there's not consequences. It doesn't mean there's not long-term pain and difficulty and suffering that's there. But in the moment, sin can be fun. And if you're separated from the, the care of the Father, you may actually have a sense of being freer and happier in the moment. Uh, but only in the short run. Because in the long run, it's gonna get you. But what you see is for believers, you know some of the most miserable people in the world, in the world are uh, the most joyless, are joyless Christians who are joyless because they're, fighting against the discipline of the father. That they're trying to hang on to their sin and their father's trying to bring discipline in their life and they're fighting against it and they don't wanna to submit to it. So they're trying to still live in two different worlds and that's a pretty miserable place to be. So oftentimes they find themselves in a difficult space. Why verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Because in the moment, and it may hurt to have to give up some things that you thought were fun. But for your good, it says later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Friends, it's good to know the difference between happiness and joy. See, happiness is fickle. Happiness swings with the wind. Happiness will come and go, and it may be there for a moment. It may, it may feel good for, the, for, uh, for a short time, but it's not gonna lead you to a place of flourishing. Joy, on the other hand, is a deep place of wholeness and flourishing that's sustainable through all the ups and downs. And what, what Jesus works, says the Father is working in us is a, is a deep joy that produces something good for us. It may not feel great in the moment, but our, God's discipline is always for our, our greater joy. Now, you think about this. When I was a kid, my brother and I, believe it or not, um, we got discipline sometimes. And I know that's hard to imagine that we would have needed it. I mean, as, as much as you guys know us and appreciate us, but my brother Clint and I had very different approaches to how we approach discipline and try to handle discipline in the, in, in the moment. Now, I'm an old dude. So back in the day, we had what was affectionately known as a whooping. And you guys may not know what whoopings are, but whoopings involved spankings. And I know that, that those may be kind of on the out now. And if, you, if you're still doing it, maybe like on the down low so that you don't get in trouble with helicopter parents and everything else. But when I was a kid, spankings were freely distributed. And when it came to spankings, my brother and I had really different approaches to these things. I, I just wanted to get it over. And so like, I just took it, like get it over as fast as we could because I want to get on with it, whatever's going on in, in, in life. My brother though, he wanted to prove he was tough enough to take it. And so one of our favorite stories around our family was that one time 
Clint was getting some spankings and as they bent him over, my dad would whack his backside. He immediately, every time, just go, it didn't hurt. He'd hit him again, it didn't hurt. And it just, time after time, just kept going. And I don't know if that actually helped in the moment, um, but I was really proud of his, his, his toughness and his ability to kind of stand his ground. Uh, friends, the Lord, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Um, it can be painful in the moment, but it always leads to a greater joy. And God's discipline um, yields, something, yields something good in our life. Can I encourage you? And do not run away from the kind correction and redirection of, your, of the Lord. The Lord's oftentimes at work, and sometimes it can, be, it can be a little bit painful, but he's simultaneously firm and kind. He always comes with both grace and truth in order to produce something good in us. And when I accept the pruning or the discipline of the Lord, I'm admitting that I'm not perfect. I'm admitting that my life is not yet all that I want it to be. I'm, I'm admitting that I don't look as much like Jesus as I want to look. And so I receive the correction of the Lord so that I might move in a different direction. And I'm admitting that I need his help. So let me ask you this, how do we change? Now let's go back to John 15. John 15 verse seven says, abide in me and my words in you. Now, this is an interesting kind of repeated phrase that we've seen before. Back in verse four, Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you, right? So verse four, abide in me, I will abide in you. Verse seven, abide in me and my words will abide in you. Jesus is connecting those two things and saying, look, if I abide in you, then my word abides in you. The, the Jesus and the word always go together. These two things are not ever separated, but they always flow together. And Jesus is repeating that phrase because he wants you to make that connection and understand that to be vitally connected to the life of Jesus is to have his word vitally alive in you. It abides in you, it dwells in you, it fills you. Uh, one commentator said this, Jesus and his revelation are virtually interchangeable for he is incarnate revelation. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's the word lived out amongst us. He's the word that's, uh, that's unstoppable and perfect, a perfect picture of all that God's word intends for us. And part of what this means is that the, the means by which God prunes and corrects and changes us is through the word of God. That the word of God is the primary thing that God uses in order to bring about those changes in our life. And that's why Jesus says that Christ's words need to dwell or abide in us. And think about what it means for God's word to dwell or abide in you, right? It means that you're inviting God's word into your heart. You're giving it refrigerator rights. You're giving it the ability to rearrange furniture. Uh, God's word gets to do a total home improvement project in you if it wants to, because you've invited it in and said, you've got free reign here. That's what it means for his words to dwell in you, to abide in you, to be invited into you. Now, you know, there's another passage I want to look at, 2 Timothy 3.16, so a key, key passage that deals with God's word. And I want to read through this because I think it tells us a little more about how this works out in our life. It says, all scriptures breathed out and it's profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so in that passage, it says that God's word is breathed out. A lot of times, some translations say inspired. And uh, that's okay, but oftentimes in our, in our day, we think of inspired as someone saying an inspired version of a song and emotionally stirred my heart. That's really not what it's talking about. It's not saying that God's word is just this inspirational thing that makes us feel better. It's saying that God's word is actually breathed out. It's actually spoken by the Lord. It's actually the, the presence of God put down on paper. And so it's, it's revelation that we are to receive. You notice it also says that it's what? It's profitable. Isn't that interesting? It's saying that God's word is spoken out so that it might 
bear, be profitable to us. Remember John 15, we were just looking at, if God's word abide in you, you will do what? You'll bear much fruit. He was saying you're gonna be productive. And you see this kind of connection here that Jesus is saying, if my word's in you, it'll be productive in your life. And that's Paul saying here in 2 Timothy that all scriptures breathe out and it's profitable for you. And he gives us four different categories of how the word ought to be used in our life. Uh, let's break those down really quickly. First is teaching. That's instruction in the truth. He tells us what it is we're to believe. And so it builds us up in terms of our understanding of our theology and, and, and gospel truth so that we can build our lives on something firm. Uh, the second is reproof. You know what reproof is? It's the, it's the light on your dashboard. And if you have a, a newer car where you've got, you've got these new cars and they've got like these blind spot warning things. You know, so they've got these things that they detect when a car is coming up behind you and it starts to flash or beep and tell you, hey, if you start to change lanes, you're gonna be in a danger zone because you're not seeing what's in your blind spot. That's what reproof is. Reproof is God just throwing a light on your dashboard going, hey, you're headed in the wrong direction. You're headed to danger. You're headed to pain. Let me get your attention and set you back on the right, on the right course. It's, it's a rebuke. I mean, it's, it's calling out our sin or conviction of wrongdoing in our lives. That's what reproof is. So look at the third one, it's correction. I love the way this works, that God's gonna teach you, he's gonna build you up, but if you happen to veer off course, and he's gonna rebuke you and warn you and say, no, you're going the wrong direction. But he doesn't just say, hey, idiot, you're going the wrong direction. He says, hey, let me correct you and set you back on the right path and show you the direction to go. That's, when, that's what correction is. It's once we've veered off course, the Bible doesn't just tell us, hey, you're wrong, idiot. You're going the wrong way. He says, let me show you how to go the right way. And he gently comes along and points us in a better direction. Training in righteousness is the last. And that's training us how to actually live out the, the things of God so that we honor God with our lives both inside and out. And so do you see how those four things work together for our good and to, to build us up? God's work, friends, does deep transformative work in our life. It sounds, it sounds almost mechanical here, but this truly is deep um, kind of relational, personal work that God, that God puts forth in our life. And it's, it's the love of the Heavenly, Heavenly Father moving us toward maturity, maturity and moving us back to a path of joy. That's, that's what God's word ought to do for us. Um, can I just tell you one story? I've seen God work so many times through his word to bring about changes in life. One time at my church in Dallas, we did this experiment. We were, decided we'd take everyone, we'd surprise everyone. They thought they were gonna come in and do this kind of thing. And we had buses lined up and we decided we were gonna take a field trip as a church. Uh, for the only time I've ever pulled this, this kind of a stunt off. But we decided we'd take a field trip through Dallas. And as we did, we'd actually pre-recorded all these scripture verses, nothing but the word of God that we put on the video screens. And it was just the word of God being read over everyone that was in these buses. And we just drove people through the city of Dallas and we drove past the skyscrapers and we drove around one of the, the main malls in the area and we drove through a lot of the neighborhoods and the houses. And as we did, there were scripture just being read over them about, uh, about materialism and about the kind of eternal goals of life and about the things that are important and, and things that you wanna give your life to and uh, the treasures that are in our heart. And as we, as we kind of went through that, we talked about earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. And it just was this reflection exercise based in the word of God. And then we ended that by actually driving into a cemetery. And as we turned into a cemetery, the verses turned and began to talk about the brevity of life and the shortness of, of time in which we're living on this planet and how, how certain death is and the eternal nature of, of, of kind of where our lives. And we talked about heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. And we read these verses about all these things. And afterwards, there was a lady who came to us and said, you know, my, 
I had a, a parent who died at a young age and I've been so fearful. I've never been back to a cemetery since then. And I've just lived in fear. And, and she just said, when I was, honestly, when, when I saw we started to turn into a cemetery, she said, I almost screamed because I'd never been, I hadn't been back to a cemetery in over a decade. And she said, the fear just began to, to come over me. So then all of a sudden I heard the word of God just coming over the loudspeakers. And I heard it being read. And I said, I just closed my eyes and I just absorbed that. And I just listened to the truth that was being spoken. She said, and in that moment, God freed me of all that. It just, it set me free and it changed my life. And she said, I, you know, I'd never been back, but my fear's now gone. And I'm gonna go visit my mom's grave soon. Um, God, God's word can change you. It's not an impersonal thing. This is a deep, transformative, relational thing. And when we trust his word, when we allow it to dwell in us, it produces good fruit in us. It sets us on a path of joy. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Friends, if we abide in Jesus and his word, it's going to do good stuff in here but it's gonna do some course correction as well. And under the care of the vine dresser, our heavenly father, it'll bear much fruit in our lives. So how do we respond to the things we've been studying today? We've seen over and over how much this has uh, called us to live productive lives, to bear fruit, to, uh, to, to, be profit, to profit from God's word. Verse eight says, by, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Friends, we're, we're supposed to grow, we're supposed to produce much fruit. But when we're honest about our lives, sometimes we realize that we're, we're not maybe living the way we want to live, right? Like we want deep friendships, but we don't maybe have the character to, to really develop them and to get there. Um, we wanna be a positive influence in our world, but we haven't yet learned to get our pride and our, uh, our judgmentalism under, under control. And we wanna stop running around exhausted all the time, but we don't wanna cut anything off our schedules. We want our families to be healthy uh, but we haven't figured out how to lead by grace uh, rather than leading by control. That's why we need the loving discipline of our father. It's why we need him to set us on the right path. Do you remember at the beginning of this, we talked about our need, where our confidence should be? Friends, our confidence is not in our fruitfulness. Our confidence is not in our productivity. Our confidence is in our vine, Jesus, and the vine dresser, our heavenly father. That's where our confidence has to be. In fact, uh, this is a picture of grace. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you attach your life to mine, you can, to mine, you can have all the strength and nourishment you need. And when you're under the care of the vine dresser, you're gonna receive everything you need to, be set to, to produce a life of much fruit that leads to, keeps you on the path of joy. His grace is sufficient for you. It's interesting in this, in this section of John, um, John 14, 15, 16, we talk about the farewell discourse. And in, in that section, Jesus says, it's kind of one big message. In three different places, Jesus says in, in 14, 27, he says that, uh, that, they, that his disciples would know his peace. In 15, 10, he says the disciples will know his love. In 15, 11, it says his disciples will know his joy. That Jesus is gonna work for good in our lives, but we've gotta stay connected to him. Friends, as we, as we kind of, Lay in the plane here. If you don't know Jesus, can I just say, why not today? If you're not connected to the true vine that nourishes your life, that, that stirs your heart in a healthy direction, if his word does not abide in you, and if you, don't, if you don't know the loving discipline of a heavenly father who loves you, and would you surrender to him today? Would you just lay down your life and say, apart from you, I can do nothing, and ask him to come and connect with your life so that, um, that you can trust him? 
Repent of your sin and put yourself under the care of the vine dresser, your heavenly father today, that you might walk with him and walk under him. His grace is sufficient for you. He doesn't demand that you figure it out first. In fact, he says you'll never figure it out until you attach yourself to the vine. And so friends, come, come to Jesus today if you don't know him. Now, for those of us who are believers, if you're a Christian, can I encourage you to trust the pruning of the Father? I don't know anyone that, that desires to be cut on and be told that, man, you're not quite where you ought to be here and there's, a, there's something better for you out there. But would you just trust him? Would you trust his good care as the discipline of a father who loves you? Would you listen to him? Ask him to show you how you can be more like Jesus and um, go to his word. Invite it to do work in your heart. You know, the Bible, if we're gonna, if we're gonna live in this kind of way, what it means is we, we can't come to the Bible and just kind of come to it like a birdbath. You know what a bird does in a birdbath? Like it gets in there and just kind of whacks the water around and splashes a little bit here, a little bit there and gets a little bit wet. Um, that's not what the word abiding in us really looks like. And it looks more like jumping in the ocean, getting a deep soak, floating in it, soaking in it, diving all the way in it and just allowing it to overtake you. And we need to get into the word at that kind of, at that kind of level. One guy, it's kind of the saying goes, if I'm cut, I want to bleed Bible. And I want it to so fill me that it's what comes out of me whenever I'm, whenever I'm experiencing difficulty or hardship. I want to trust our entire lives to it. Friends, our world needs the hope of Jesus. And the reality is for many people in our world, the only Bible they'll ever read is you. And when they look at you, they have a chance to see Jesus. And I want them to see Jesus. And we need the pruning, disciplining hand of the Father in our life to make us look more like him because our world needs hope that's only found in him. Let me pray for us out of Ephesians as we close. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, may it be so in each of our lives. Amen.